Hey, it's Jenny. Before we get started, I want to tell you about another show I think you'll love. How can we practice self-care through COVID-19 and beyond? And why should we? It's easy to create distractions with the latest technology, news, or television shows. Welcome to Mindful by Design, an audio course all about mindfulness, meditation, how it works, and how to make it work for you. With insightful conversations and accompanying meditations, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams introduces core principles of the mindfulness practice through both science and lived experience. You can find Mindful by Design and exclusive guided meditations on the Himalaya Learning Platform. Himalaya Learning is an audio learning platform that provides an extensive library of courses from the world's greatest minds, like Malcolm Gladwell, Tim Ferriss, Seth Godin, and more. Go to Himalaya.com mindful and enter promo code mindful to get your first 14 days free. The link and promo code are also available in our episode description. Check it out. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, and this is Encyclopedia Womanica. There are some public figures who become so mythical, so shrouded in rumor, that it can be hard to tell where the fiction ends and the truth begins. Today's politician has been described by some as a tyrannical despot, clinging to power by any means necessary, by others as a ruler who was unfairly burdened with the anger of a fallen dynasty. Regardless, she rose from concubine to politician to become one of the most powerful women in China's history. Let's talk about Empress Dowager Shu Shi. Lady Ye He Na La was born on November 29, 1835 in Beijing. China was in its third century of Qing rule, a dynasty led by the Manchu, an ethnic minority who had ruled China since 1644. Lady Ye He Na La's father was a low-ranking Manchu duke. At 16, she was chosen to be a consort for the Qianfeng Emperor. In 1852, she was brought to the Forbidden City, the palatial heart of China. Lady Ye He Na La rose through the ranks, quickly becoming one of the emperor's favorite concubines. Unlike many of the other women in the imperial household, Lady Ye He Na La could read and write. Her skills brought her closer to the emperor and allowed her to grow her political knowledge. She was later given the nickname Tzu Shi, meaning Empress of the Western Palace. In 1856, Tzu Shi gave birth to the emperor's only son. When the emperor died a few years later, Tzu Shi's son became the Tongzhi Emperor at just five years old. At first, State business was overseen by a council of eight elder officials. But after a few months, Tzu Shi and the emperor's former senior consort, Shi An, led a coup with Prince Gong, the former emperor's brother. Power was transferred to Tzu Shi and Shi An. Gong became prince counselor. Under this three-pronged rule, the Qing dynasty entered a period of restoration. Mass rebellions and the aftermath of the Opium Wars had left China struggling. Tzu Shi applied practical knowledge while working to restore traditional order. Schools were established to teach foreign languages, and attempts were made to cut down on government corruption. The first foreign service office in China was installed, 
But this was not, by any means, a move towards modernization. Historians still debate whether this period, which Tzu Shi named the Tong Zhe Restoration, actually stopped the decline of the Qing Dynasty or just delayed the inevitable. In 1873, Tzu Shi gave up her regent ruler status. Her son had turned 17 and it was time for him to govern on his own. But just two years later, her son died. Tzu Shi was once again in charge, this time as regent ruler for her three-year-old nephew, whom she adopted. It was here, in the arguments over who would succeed her son, that rumors first began swirling around Tzu Shi. Her son didn't have an heir, but his favorite consort was pregnant. Before a decision could be made, the consort reportedly committed suicide. But because her death allowed Tzu Shi to step back into power, the timing roused suspicions. Nevertheless, Tzu Shi and her former allies reformed their triumvirate regency. The trio was fractured in 1881 when Xu An died suddenly. Suspicion, once again, fell on Tzu Shi. Three years later, she dismissed Gong. Tzu Shi then became the sole ruler in her adopted son's stead. In 1889, her adopted son aged into power. Tzu Shi once again retired, though she remained as a sort of advisor. In 1898, after China's defeat in the Sino-Japanese War, the emperor announced the Hundred Days of Reform. The radical proposals were designed to modernize China's government, eliminating corruption in the process. Conservative officials began rallying instead around Tzu Shi. A military coup emerged, the reforms were reversed, and Tzu Shi, for a third time, regained the regency. Anti-foreign sentiments were popular among the conservative officials who had led Tzu Shi back to power. She backed them, declaring war on Western powers as the Boxer Rebellion reached its peak in 1900. Roughly 100 foreigners were murdered. In response, the eight-nation alliance of America, Austro-Hungary, Great Britain, France, Italy, Japan, and Russia sent some 20,000 troops. Tzu Shi was forced to flee and accept what felt to be embarrassing peace terms. When she finally returned to Beijing two years later, Tzu Shi began to implement some of the reforms her adopted son had initially pushed for years before. In 1908, Tzu Shi passed away. But the day before she died, her adopted son's death was announced. For nearly a century, it was rumored that he had been murdered. In 2008, Chinese researchers and police officials announced that he'd been poisoned with arsenic. No one was named as the culprit, but Tzu Shi to this day remains a suspect. Four years later, in 1912, the Qing Dynasty came to an end. As the last imperial empress of China, Tzu Shi shoulders an immense amount of national anger. Was she the downfall of the dynasty, or was she just its last tender, minding the flame until it flickered out? Was she a murderous leader poisoning those who stood in her way? Or was she a powerful woman when powerful women were inherently a frightening thing? The truth is likely somewhere in the middle. All month, we're talking about politicians. For more on why we're doing what we're doing, check out our newsletter, Womanica Weekly. 
follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Encyclopedia Womanica. And follow me directly on Twitter at Jenny M. Kaplan. Special thanks to Liz Kaplan, my favorite sister and co-creator. Talk to you tomorrow. Before we go, I want to tell you about another show I think you'll like. Change Lab is a long-form interview podcast that explores the transformative power of creativity. Hosted by Lauren M. Buckman, the show is produced by Art Center College of Design, a global leader in art and design education. Change Lab tells extraordinary true stories about regular people living their life through the lens of creativity. It just began its seventh season, which is dedicated to amplifying Black voices in a conversation around creating concrete, measurable actions toward a more diverse and inclusive art and design community at Art Center and beyond. Subscribe, listen, and enjoy Change Lab wherever you get your podcasts.